Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Hey, what's up? This is Nate John, producer for the show. This week, we are dropping two episodes. They are both recorded in front of a live audience on Thursday, October 6th at the Emo Brown Foundation in Chula Vista. It is our first ever PolitiFest South, a kickoff event for PolitiFest 2022, which continues on Saturday, October 8th. We've got a ton of debates and panels and interviews happening this week, so I'll be pulling some of that content for this feed as well. And you can see more details and check out the live stream at politifest.org. So what you're about to hear is our first event of the night, a roundtable with mayoral candidates for National City, Alejandro Sotelo Solis, Ron Morrison, and Jose Rodriguez. The second episode I'll release this week happened right after this chat with mayoral candidates for Chula Vista. So two-parter, a big week. Here we go. Welcome to PolitiFest 2022. There we go. So we, we started PolitiFest in 2011. And when I got up to introduce everybody, I said, welcome to the first annual PolitiFest. And somebody texted me the next day and said, you don't say first annual. It's, it's inaugural. Okay, excuse me. But now I get to redo it because this is the inaugural PolitiFest South. In case you are not familiar with us, I am Scott Lewis. I'm the CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice of San Diego. Uh, We are a nonprofit investigative news team. Our job is to go find things out that people don't want us to find out and make sense of the things that they do talk about. Our job is to also educate. There's nobody out there dedicated to teaching people what the port is or what the school districts are, why there's a unified school district and an elementary school district and all these different things that there's no academy built to handle and to teach everybody to get involved in their community. Our job is to give everybody the information they need about current events to make sure that that's possible. Tonight, I have another partner to thank. This place is so cool. This is a great spot. And uh, we jumped on the first opportunity we had to have the event here, Emo Brown Foundation. Steve Garcia, come up here for a second. What a 
great place you've created. I was just telling everybody, I was like, I want a warehouse. This is fantastic. You got to feel good about having a warehouse sometimes. Man, we're figuring it out. We, we don't know what we're doing half the time, but somehow or another, it all falls into place. And we, hey, thank you for giving us the opportunity to host you guys here in the inaugural PolitiFest South 2022. We're excited. We don't know what we're doing, but look at all these friendly faces. Everyone's here to see some debating going on. So thank you very much, man. Thank you. Um, again, thank you, Emo Brown Foundation and Steve Garcia. Uh, just one quick note. Why do we do this? Why do we do PolitiFest? The point is, is that politics isn't just about campaign ads and mailers. Politics is how we handle competing interests. Uh, people who have very different views of the world, very different ownerships of part of it, very different uh, advocacy and sort of interests in mind. And our republic is based around the idea that we'll, we'll have those compete, we'll have those interests compete, but we're going to settle it peacefully. Now there's violence, there's problems, but the point is, is that we're going to settle these debates peacefully, we'll follow the rules, and we'll accept it if we lose and we'll move on. That's the point of a republic. But in the meantime, we can still have some good fights. We can still have some good arguments. We can still let people know how we feel, and then we sit around a table and have a conversation, and we go back and see what the voters think. And that's the point of PolitiFest. This continues Saturday with a lot of great debates about the region and the issues. But our actual host and lead moderator for tonight is one of my favorite people in the world, Andrea Lopez. Biafania, come on up, our managing editor. Thanks, Scott. I was expecting like music as I came in and a smoke machine would have been really, really cool. How many of you guys have seen the movie Selena with my girl J-Lo? Okay, a couple. For those who haven't, it's awesome. You know this scene where she's like at a press conference and she's like trying to answer a question and she's like, uh, me, siento, me siento muy excited. That's how I feel right now. I'm so excited to be with everyone here today. Like Scott said, I am Andrea Lopez Villafana, and I am the managing editor of Daily News at Voice of San Diego. I will be hosting this conversation, and I'm going to introduce my awesome co-hosts and amazing co-workers. Um, he is the CEO and editor-in-chief of Voice of San Diego. I've also heard he is an amazing softball coach, and he likes to fish, I guess, in Mission Bay. It's Scott Lewis. He is a Subway sandwich hater, but he's still my office bestie, Andrew Keats. How are you feeling, Andy? I feel great. Are you excited great. for this conversation? Okay, now for our amazing show, let me welcome our wonderful guest. Uh, try to keep up with this one. He is the former city council member for National City and a current council member for National City. He is a former mayor of National City, and he's running to be National City's next mayor. It's Ron Morrison. Hey, Ron. Well, you know, politicians are supposed to be living on the edge, but I think tonight I'm looking back there and I think Scott's the one who's living on the edge. 
Yeah. No worries. Okay. Okay. My, our next guest, she is the current mayor of National City and a former city council member. So you've seen her face around here very often. She is a third-generation resident of the city and running for her second term. Please welcome Alejandra. Buenas tardes. Buenas Hi. tardes. ¿Cómo estás? Muy bien. And uh, yeah, Selena, all the way. We do anything for Selena. Oh, my God. I know. You know, I, um, I was born in Mexico, so my first language is Spanish. But my mom moved away, so now I don't really speak Spanish. So when I do, it feels really weird. <laughs> so I was like, Perfect. me siento muy excited. <laughs> well, you know what? That's the beauty of the South Bay and this region. You can go into Spanglish and people understand. Oh, yeah. Spanglish? That, that's my language right there. <laughs> if, if, any, if everybody spoke Spanish and English, I would be the happiest person ever. Okay. Our last guest, he is in his first term as council member for National City, and his career has focused on labor. Please welcome Jose. Buenas tardes. Good afternoon. Hi. Nice to have you here. So this is really our amazing roundtable where we're going to have a, a great conversation, uh, familia style, maybe a little bit. So um, I, I want to get us started with a little bit of foundation. Um, I started my career as a community reporter, and I often approach my work still with the same foundations that I did when I was a community reporter. I you know, would go into a community, neighborhood, city, and I always just wanted to get to know the people wanted to have a full understanding of what you know your everyday person cares about, what is happening in the community. Didn't care too much to, you know, talk to. Um, sorry, the politicians. Um, I wanted to talk more to the people and figure out what's happening. So I'd like for us to kind of set a foundation of where National City is, what you think the most pressing issues are right now. And Alejandra, before we started, I asked you, what are you focusing your campaign on? Some of the issues that we hear constantly um, on the campaign trail and even uh, there at City Hall is um, concerns over housing and the high cost of rent, as well as the ways with which uh, as a city and a region we're addressing homelessness and the unsheltered. And then we go into uh, access to transportation and just really connecting all of our major corridors, some of the things that uh, Voice of San Diego has covered um, in detail. Uh, but it really comes down to how we as a city build that pride. And you mentioned while reading the, my bio, I'm third generation from National City. My daughters are fourth. So when I start talking about and knocking on the door, I can say, oh, that's Senora so-and-so from St. Anthony's Church. Today, I'm wearing my grandmother's pin. She was first generation from National City. She passed away last year. I do things because I have a strong foundation of giving back to the community, and that's what people want to see. They want somebody who's dedicated to the community and who wants to fight and is passionate about it. And so it's those issues, housing, transportation, and feeling empowered and engaged um, by City Hall. And Ron, you've led this city before. You've been in positions of power before, and you still are. You're a current council member. What would you say are some of the issues that you're looking at right now? 
Well, I think, you know, Alejandra mentioned a good number of them that I think we probably would all agree on. But I think a number of other things, as I'm hearing from uh, people in the streets, when I'm going to their, their houses, when I'm getting calls from them, uh, the cleanliness of the city, they, they do not think that, you know, uh, we had made a huge difference. Uh, when the recession hit, the Great Recession hit in uh, 2000, into 2006, beginning of 2007, we, all the cities shut down uh, on so many of their services. We did the exact opposite. Uh, we opened up more services. We, we uh, started all kinds of work within the city and really bringing a pride uh, into the city. Uh, a lot of people feel that's been lost in the last few years. And so as far as cleanliness, crime levels, you know, feeling safe in the streets, things along this line, you know, you deal with the homelessness, uh, you know, and how that is being dealt with or not being dealt with. All of these different issues are the ones that are coming up. So a lot of it is quality of life issues. Um, you know, we're spending a lot of, lot of uh, time on bikeways, but the streets are deteriorating. Uh, you know, these are the kinds of things that people are saying, hey, these are what are affecting us. And, and so they, they want to make sure their children are safe and they not feeling, not feeling that here as much. And on the pride deal, when I uh, first became mayor, one of the things that I did, something very simple, something very stupid by itself, was I ordered 500 pins, a box of 500 pins, and all it said was, I heart National City. And staff looked at me and said, you're going to be stuck with that box forever. No one's going to wear those. So that was the first 500. We're now at 40,000. And so it was, it was the idea of working on pride, you know, getting the neighborhoods clean, everyone saying, we're proud of our neighborhood, we're proud to be National City residents. Jose, you are eight on your first term as council member on the city, right? What made you decide that you wanted to put your name in the hat for, for mayor. What, what spurred that? Uh, thank you so much for the question. And this is true. I have been in office for two years. And uh, it is a rather unusual thing to do for a two-year council member to actually run for mayor. I'm really upset. I'm upset because I feel that the basic issues in, the cities have, in, the, in our city has not, have not been prioritized. And when, issue, when I mean issues, I say this. Uh, housing, over the last uh, RENA cycle, the last 10 years, we built 1,000 units in National City. 18 of those have been for sale. That means that all we've been building is apartments. Most of those market rate luxury apartments where $2,500 two-bedroom apartments is the norm. That is not the kind of development we need in the city. We need to have home ownership so people can buy, stay here invested for a long period of time. I'm a, I'm a very big supporter of ownership. And uh, unfortunately, you know, we've gone to the extent in the past of even selling city-owned property to develop luxury housing in it. That makes zero sense. We need to stop doing that, make sure that if we're gonna use public land, it is going to benefit everyday people, and that means uh, building affordable or building ownership opportunities. Um, our infrastructure, look, we see the reports every year that come in and out. Uh, we need hundreds of streetlights around our city because it's very dark at night, and that adds to the fear of walking around our neighborhoods. One in five of our alleys are still dirt alleys all around the city. This is unacceptable. We deserve better. Our gym, our Camacho gym, and our recreation center have been empty for years. Even before COVID, we need to make sure that we provide programming for our kids, our seniors, our families, in order to have a more vibrant community. We deserve it. So I'm really running because we deserve better. Uh, we deserve all of that and then some. We're, we're also the only city in the county without access to our bayfront. Why is that? We're the only one. We see cities in San Diego, right, north of us, Chula Vista, south of us, continuing to grow and expand and make sure that the residents have access to our bay. We don't. 
we deserve it. Our people deserve it. Took them a while. It. <laughs> Took them a while, but at, but at least they were working on it, right? <laughs> I haven't heard the conversation around access to our Bayfront in a very, very long time. Uh, Scott, All I think right. you want to say something over here. Ooh, it's getting hot already. Let me uh, let me ask you, uh, Mayor. So, Alejandra, you you've been mayor. Um, it seems unusual, as he said, for. Uh, a mayor to face so much opposition in a in a race like this. It, usually, in a in a smaller town, uh, it, it's going well. You kind of lock it down. How do you explain what happened that Jose emerged, that Ron wants back in, and that they've been able to get enough support to make it an interesting and you know potentially a change election? What do you tell yourself and, and your supporters about why that happened? Well, in National City, they used to call us the Wild Wild West. We used to have no limits for donations and contributions and no term limits in National City. And it was through uh, the tenure of both uh, Ron Morrison, myself, and Councilmember Rios, where we implemented those policies. So to say that there you know, is opposition, I'm of the belief if somebody wants to go and run for office, bring it. Let's do this. Because my record stands for itself. 14 years in office, second woman ever elected to the city council. When you have, you know, new people looking at things and saying, oh, well, this hasn't been done, this hasn't been done. Well, we actually have proof and records and votes that have shown this has been attempted. One of the the major things that people have brought up is uh, labor um, Mm -hmm. and the concerns of city employees but also the concerns of regional, regional labor unions that basically you lost them and they've gone to Jose. Is that true? When, why did that happen? I have firefighters that are knocking door to door um, who are very well respected in the community. We have labor leaders who are part of various unions that are individually endorsing me. And when it comes down to who people support, you know, I've been the darling and I've not been the darling. And apparently this is a year where I'm not the darling. Why do you think you're not the darling? I think we should ask them. Okay. Jose, what do you think about that? Um, Well, thank you for the question. You know, I think it's important to realize that I actually have been very supportive of our current mayor in in years past. I supported her during council runs. I supported her during her mayor run. I I supported the initiative that made sure that we had uh, the ability to move forward as a city that provided term limits to our mayor so that now Councilmember Morrison would not be able to run for mayor again. I was there. I was in the fight every single step of the way, gathering hundreds and hundreds of signatures, knocking on doors, making sure that our city moved forward. Unfortunately, our city did not. And so even for me being in this position, running for mayor and challenging the status quo has been a process in itself. But look, I I think it's clear that uh, many folks have lost faith in the current leadership including the Democratic Party, the Labor Council, which is a coalition of over 130 unions in the region, our city workers, right, the MEA workers. And that's important to know because National City is actually the densest uni city in the county. Uh, We have one in four voters that are actually union members. And so it is a strong union town. Um, Congressman Vargas supports us, Senator Wessel supports us, and today uh, Vice Mayor Bush uh, endorsed our candidacy as well. Most of those, many of those individuals have supported our current mayor in the past and don't anymore. And that includes myself on the list. But I feel like we present a much clearer vision for the city, 
that actually listen to the community's needs, that listens to our city workers, that make sure that they have the support needed in order for us to operate a city, you know, that, that our people deserve, um, operate our city in a good manner. I think Andy wants to say something over here. So, I want to get uh, Councilman Morrison in here. So one of the issues that has, uh, that was part of the, the uh, issues with labor that have, have materialized was uh, controversial extension of the city manager's contract. Uh, that's a person you have worked with for a long time when you were the mayor. Um, what, you know, your perspective to some extent, you know, I, I, I think it was, you probably didn't expect to receive the labor council's endorsement, I'm guessing? No, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, so from an outsider's perspective, what happened with the city manager's contract extension and how did that play into uh, any sort of consternation going on in National City? Let me see if I can answer that in two parts. Uh, first of all, you know, not getting the, uh, the endorsement of Labor, Democrat Party, things on this line. That's because it's a nonpartisan position, and I'm nonpartisan. So I do, I do not get support either from Republicans or Democrat as far as uh, the uh, import, uh, official endorsement. And so I did not expect it. And right now we know how divisive it has become as far as from a, a partisan uh, level. But although uh, union members are out working for me, everything else is just leadership, particularly at international level, that says, no, you got to go with the Democrat. I am neither, neither Republican or Democrat. So that's, that's the thing on that one. As far as the deal with the uh, city manager's contract, we had not actually sat down with the city manager at that time. He hadn't been in, the, in office that long. He was on his first uh, contract. We had not sat down with him and given him a list of things saying, hey, here's where we need improvements. And so it was right in the middle of labor negotiations. And so we get, guess what? Right in the middle of labor negotiations, we get a vote from the Labor Council saying, you got to get rid of the city manager. Right just as we're getting like the 23rd hour of labor negotiations. That's the kind of things that is pretty standard that that does happen. Uh, at the same time, we had not given him a chance to take a look at what needs to be, what needs to be done or any criticisms we had. We sat down with him, we gave him a list of things, we can't go into that in detail or anything, it was closed session, but we gave a list of things. He says, here's things that need improvement, here's things that we see that are deficient, but we have to give him time to at least address that. You would do that with any employee, whether if they are union, non-union, whatever else, that is just being, that's being human and, and respecting their humanity. And so that's what we, we did with that. And so we're gonna hold him accountable for how he measures up to those ideas, those criticisms, or those areas that we felt were deficiencies. But it wasn't just because there was an outside vote that we would automatically throw someone overboard. Yeah, so Alejandro, you supported the city manager. Yes, I was just going to say, agree with the points that were made. And you always want to give a person the opportunity to improve in their position. And this was the first time that, you know, that level of analysis or you know, review had been done for our city manager. And for a first timer, you want to give that opportunity to improve. And there was that conversation. Nothing is carte blanche. And at the beginning, you know, when we talked about what terms would have, would he would have, you know, it went to two years. And again, there's always opportunity to have additional conversations. And, um, you know, when it comes to support, Many of the community and even within City Hall were supportive of the city manager. We had both fire and PD, and yes, we were still in negotiations with our MEA group. And so, you know, it's, it's hard at times to distinguish 
what is being done during negotiations and what is, you know, kind of being put in the pot to kind of make it spicier. Well, let me ask, so he was implying, Jose, that the manager's job was being threatened during the negotiations because they weren't happy with the way negotiations were going, that the labor groups weren't happy with the way labor negotiations were going, and thus they wanted to get rid of their foe and get somebody, uh, that's what you're implying, more sympathetic to their cause, right? Standard thing during negotiations happens and at you a lot shook, of levels. Yeah, so you shook your head. No? I think it's important to realize why this is so important. Arguably, the city manager position is the most important position in small cities because they run the show. They essentially put items on the agenda, can move things, uh, speed things up, slow things down, prioritize issues. It is an incredibly important and vital position. And so I think it's important to realize that we're all public servants whether we are elected officials or we are the city manager of a city. And our job is to listen to our constituents that pay our salaries and our benefits. So when you have a contract come up and you have a city manager who has then 40 of the city workers sign a petition saying, we need to move in a new direction, that's a cause for concern. When we have the Environmental Health Coalition, which has been in, in National City for over 40 years, sign letters and call in and say, we need to go in a new direction, that's a voice for concern. When we have ACE, the community organization, say the same thing, the Labor Council, look, our job is to listen. And so I ask repeatedly to make sure that those issues are resolved ahead of time before the contract is up. They were not. Look, I think our, our job as public servants is to make sure that we sit down with everybody, listen, and address those issues. And by the way, all those organizations, they want to better National City. Environmental Health Coalition's goal is to make sure we have a cleaner environment. Why do we not sit down with them on a regular basis and actually work with them to make a better national city, right? So it's important to realize this isn't just kind of, you know, a couple of us. No, this was a coalition of folks that decided in a national city we need to go in a new direction. This is the, the naivete of somebody new, not understanding what the process is as well. Um, when you have a contract and you are looking at the head person, you are the person that the community voted in. The trust is in you. You are the one at the table who understands or should understand the process. And when you open it up to the public, let's just say we were to have a town hall. What was the expectation to come out of that? Was it to come out with a list of things that said person did wrong? Because we could do it for the police chief, we could do it for our fire chief, we could do it for our public works director. It, it comes down to us being the decision makers and being able to identify because we are the ones he works with day in and day out. We have the ability to make those decisions, not the general public. So to, to say that we, would, we could open it up to a town hall or a forum on the city manager's position, it, I think it's, it, that is short-sighted. I, th I think we should uh, move to another topic. <laughs> I, think we've, I think we've done service to this to this one, but let, but we're so, so good at that. I think I think I think you both mentioned housing in your in your opening comments, and uh, any public poll of uh, San Diego voters, San Diego County voters, right now will put affordable housing, if not in the first slot, their biggest priority is number two, and the only one that would be with it is homelessness, which is also housing related. So I want to. Ask something you said, Jose, which was that in the last arena cycle, there were not many for sale homes being built, and 
often the city was selling public land for development that was not affordable housing. So on the tail end of that RENA cycle, the state passed a new law that actually made that illegal. So we don't really have to worry about that anymore, even if National City wanted to develop public land for uh, unaffordable housing. By law, 25% of all housing that would be built on public land at this point would be required. So let me ask you, as a small city, a city that is not going to be able to ever come close to the housing production that the city of San Diego can provide, or even the city of Chula Vista can provide, and it's in your own numbers, 1,000 units in an eight-year period, what can the city of National City do to meaningfully spur housing production that meets the needs of city residents, knowing that the state already requires that for public land it's going to have to be affordable, at least right. in some percent? No, thank you. Thank you for that. And that law did pass, right? Uh, nonetheless, in 2018, under the leadership of uh, the two other uh, folks running for mayor, we had an acre of land that was uh, sold for 520000 520000 for one acre of land to develop what is there now, which is over 120 units of market rate apartments. Those are $1,700 studios, $2,100 one bedrooms, $2,800 two bedrooms on public land, right? So it's important to realize the leadership we've had and what has led to spikes in our housing uh, rental market. So that has been an issue for us. I mean, what would you propose for, for city policy yeah. to restrain those rents? I mean, uh, yes. if rent control or what, what have you, what would be your, your you know, intervention from the city level? So, I mean, we're, we're discussing an item right now, and I know because we just discussed it a couple days ago. I made my uh, position public. I feel that everything uh, built on city land should benefit uh, our residents the most. And to, in my eyes, that's home ownership building home ownership opportunities. So we are once again debating whether or not we sell public land to build 25% affordable units on a project. And the rest would be market rate. Market rate at 100% AMI equals around $2,900 in rent. So again, we would be selling public land, right? And although 25% would be affordable, 75% would not. And that means that it's not benefiting our people. And so I think it's important that we develop smart over the long term to provide ownership opportunities for our residents to enjoy. So some sort of deed restriction on new development that, that units be made for, for sale as opposed to for rent. Correct. I mean, the, the market in National City for sale is incredibly competitive. I looked a couple of days ago, there's only two units for sale at under 500,000, and those are condos, right? So we need to make sure that we uh, spur production of units that are for sale in the city, especially on city-owned property. I wanted to ask you, uh, Ron, you mentioned that the city doesn't have the pride level it used to have, that it was not as cleanly as it used to have. Are you implying that the current leadership, the current mayor, has led the city to become more dirty? Well, I'm just saying priorities have changed as far as uh, staff use, things along this line. And the idea we used to have the uh, oh, uh, quality of life team, that all they did was drive around if there was a couch, if there was something trash, they picked it up. They, or if something needed touch-up paint, whatever, they did all those type of things. And don't have that now. You know, there's a lot of these different issues that come up. It has, during, all of the, during this time, is when people have noticed the cleanliness, the condition of the streets, crime rate, all these things are all happening during the same time, same time period. So that is what people are noticing. That's what people are, are bringing up. And so... You know, it seems, seems to be a reflection, not just from me, but from uh, 
pretty much across the board. Well, I'd be interested in the current mayor's response to that. Did you take away priority from quality of life teams and cleanliness? Not at all. I would say that over the course of my tenure, it's been life or death scenarios. And we are still in the pandemic. COVID-19, although for many people, is in the rearview mirror, we are here all together, no masks. You know, thank you for the great ventilation. But for the last two years, it's really been about food and belly, roof overhead. And under my tenure, we not only were able to give out over $200,000 uh, to small businesses to keep them afloat, but we were able to give over 6,000 um, PPE packets, masks, and then talk about the um, vaccines, the T3, testing, tracing, treatment, that the county was uh, pushing. So as we talk about what priorities may have shifted, quality of life, 100%. And when people were at home, we did activities to have people chalk. And this is kind of getting to the, to the minutia of what we asked people to do during COVID-19. It was to take ownership of their couple blocks. We had community cleanups, but guess what? There were a lot more limited and restricted things because during the pandemic, Caltrans was not taking away the homeless encampments that were then growing along our freeway on and off ramps uh, in National City. So a lot more people are seeing things because they're at home, but even now, we're back on it. Now, again, the priorities are back and getting, um, especially with Caltrans, to get the community cleaned up. Jose, do you, do you agree that the city of National City is, is less clean? Um, I mean, I, I actually do agree with the sentiments, and a lot of the cities were dealing with the same issues with Caltrans territory, right, when, and during COVID. So, so that is an issue. Since I was in office, I think we had five or six community cleanups where EDCO came in. We brought in a ton of volunteers, and we cleaned up neighborhoods. That is incredibly important for us to continue to do. When we talk about quality of life and something I've been pushing for during the budget cycle is making sure that we expand our quality of life crew. So folks that drive around the city and all they're doing is picking up fridges or whatever they find in alleys, that's important that we continue to do in order to make sure that we have a clean city. And I know we have this uh, C-Click Fix app, which we use, right? People see it in the neighborhood. You take a picture of it. You report it. Look, guys, this ain't complicated. Let's just drive around the neighborhood and pick things up. Let, we, we need to simplify things and make sure that we run an efficient city. And I just, sorry, I just want to, I, I just pointed this out. Is National City dirty? I think that's very loaded uh, as a working class community who fights every day to have the best foot forward. It really upsets me that, yes, we have issues like every other community, but to point out that is National City dirty, that's, that's not okay because I can easily say that each one of us here works hard to make sure that our community is viewed in the most positive light and that we do clean up. So I just, I just want to make that point because we are a very hardworking community and many times we are scapegoated as people of color as being a certain way and that's not okay for the record. Councilman Morrison, I think. I, I think she's, I think that it's, uh, it's not hard to see the, uh, the, the charged language in that she's reading in that. Do you have any response? Is your accusation? I'm not saying we're a dirty city, and, I, and that's a bad way to characterize it. What I'm saying is it's not as clean as it was. 
And that's what people are noticing. I'm sorry. That's the reality. I mean, and, and that's what people... It's similar, though. Yeah, it is similar, but the, the charge language saying it's a dirty city. No, you know, and, you know, and that's a reflection of people. What I'm saying is it's a reflection of the service level and what the city is saying, hey, this is an expectation, and therefore the citizens respond to that. And, you know, that's what goes with that. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch gears for us because I think sure. we're just going to keep going back and forth on dirty, not clean... I want to address the big, colorful, beautiful elephants in the front of this building, the lowriders. This has been a topic that I've been following just out of curiosity and also eventually hoping to write a story. Um, if my boss ever stops making me host events and I can focus on my reporting. <laughs> Shots fired. Uh, just kidding, Scott. Everybody, I think, is is familiar with the with national cities ordinance that bans cruising uh there's been a lot of coverage about it i think uh the lowrider community has really united in a way that i don't think we've really seen before this movement to lift bans in, in different cities has you know gotten around it's gotten to the state level where the state has said you know cities you well they haven't said you, you have to change your laws but they have said you know you should consider lifting your bans um, a lot of the conversation around it is that these bans against cruising are essentially racist and they are, you know, impeding something that is a celebration of culture. So uh, National City's ban on cruising has been around since 1992, and you've each addressed it in different ways. But Alejandra, I want to start with you. You have expressed your, you know, support of lowrider culture. I, I think you were at with the last cruising event, uh, celebrating what the event was. Uh, do, do you support lifting the ban? You know, it was the one and only uh, cruising event that happened in early May. And that was after a good year uh, and a half conversation of what we envisioned for those first Friday night cruises. And we were slated to do six uh, first Friday cruises and kind of have a longitudinal assessment of what the impact was on our small business community, what the impact was for public safety, and really create some hype around cruising. And, you know, after that first event, we saw that through the TUP, which had originally said 200 cars, was hundreds of cars. 50 people, that was thousands of people. I would say hundreds of people on the sidewalks. When you look at that through the TUP lens, and I'll get real, you know, to minutia here, the city has a responsibility and has to have that conversation of what is it that we need to do to take next steps for the following event. Instead of working through that process, the organization put their hands up and said, we're not going to have it any longer. So the committee, which consists of myself and Mona uh, Rios, We've been having meetings uh, internally with our police chief and our uh, city attorney, learning more about what policies are happening throughout the state of California. And what we're learning is, yes, there have been uh, San Jose that did repeal and lift the ban, but they're also thinking about ways to replace it with something else. So there's a lot of conversation about when and if we get to that point here in National City, which I believe we will be, but we can't talk about our votes because there's three members of the council and you can't violate Brown Act. 
for the, for the record. Um, but I think there is an opportunity uh, for the city to take ownership of it. Uh, Albuquerque is brought up as a community that has cruising nights. And it is in partnership, hand in hand, with the law enforcement, with the Chamber of Commerce, and the low-riding community. I believe that can still happen. I guess, so I reached out to the chief of police and I asked him mm-hmm. how many citations have been given out. And he told me that his officers haven't given out any citations in, in three years. So I guess, aren't these two separate things? I know it's one thing that this big event was planned and it was bigger than people expected. And, you know, whether people are participating or not, that's one thing. But then you have another thing where it's just the ban, right? I don't think you have lowriders cruising every day in the city right now. So are these two separate things? One thing is the events and how someone can organize an event that, you know, does draw thousands of lowriders. And the other thing, just lifting the ban since nobody's really enforcing it. It's recognizing that there are intended and unintended consequences with every policy that is lifted or that is maintained. And the one thing that we we have to recognize is that the community of National City, good, bad, indifferent, is going to be the ones who have to deal with the consequences. We had people to say that they couldn't get to the tiendita across the street or they couldn't visit family members. Nine MTS buses were rerouted that night. Nine. That meant people weren't home on time, that people couldn't pick up their little ones. All that to say, this can work, but we have to understand that there has to be processes in place that, you know, at the end of the day, keep everyone safe, both the cruisers, the families that are watching, and the neighborhoods in the surrounding area. Jose, I can tell you want to add something here. Look, This is simple. We need to repeal the ordinance. It is not that complicated. We're the only city in the region that actually has it. Cruising takes place all over the place, right? I think it goes back to to something deeper. And we were talking about stereotyping earlier, right? Stereotyping our city. Well, this is stereotyping our people. Look, brown brown, brown and black people are predominantly folks that have low riders. And they are currently, there's a law in place that they can be stopped and pulled over at any time for customizing their cars up and down Highland more than two times, right? And it was something really interesting. You know, I went with the Lowrider Coalition up to San Jose uh, about a month ago when the repeal of the ordinance happened. And it was so refreshing to actually see a city to embrace everybody. At the same time that they repealed the ordinance, they had a, uh, an exhibit at San Jose State Library right behind City Hall. And that exhibit was showcasing the fights of folks in East San Jose which are overwhelmingly um, people of color. And it was displaying our history. And lowrider uh, culture is a part of that history. And so it, it is, um, for me, it was very refreshing to see uh, a city that actually embraces every single part of our city, right? So I, I think it goes, it goes very deep. It runs very deep. Ron, um, as I was looking into this issue, I actually uh, requested some, some minutes of, when the ordinance came to be in 1992, and there was a Ron Morrison who spoke in support, and I wasn't sure if it was you. It was me. Yes, it was me. (laughs) So you supported it back then, but where do you stand on now? Okay, well, you got to realize... Why did you support it back then? Okay, well, because our city was literally suffering. We had, at those times, we had the stadium down below. They would have the car shows. 
when they got finished, they would get on the uh, loudspeakers and say, everyone go to National City, go to Highland Avenue. And we would end up with 5,000 cars in, on high, trying to get on Highland Avenue. It was a total mess. And most of those people were not from this region. Uh, we had like one night alone, we had eight stabbings, and it was all involving people from Los Angeles. We got the crime stats. Our businesses were dying on Highland Avenue because the word was going around throughout the region, don't go to Highland Avenue, it's dangerous. It didn't matter if it was Sunday nights or not. So we had to do something and uh, to try to control it because it was just getting way out of hand. And it wasn't our local, if it was our locals, that'd be no problem. Same thing happened with this deal on May the 6th. They got a permit, and as was stated, in their permit, it was for 200, up to 200 vehicles and up to 50 spectators. Then they advertised it basically all over the Western United States, and it no longer was a local event. It became a Western United States event. A city like San Jose, which has well over 1,000 police officers, but it's a huge public works department, an LA, which has tens of thousands of police officers. Here's National City and has a street that is not a wide boulevard and only has 80 police officers and a small public works. We can't handle a Western United States event. If they would have kept it to be a local event, and we, were, and we deliberately had them do it on Friday evenings because we have extra shift of police officers, so we wouldn't have to charge them. And we treated it, and the idea is to treat this event like any other event, whether if we do the Lions Club, which puts on the carnival, we charge them. They charge, got charged $36,000 for overtime cost. The same thing if you're going to do any kind of, if you're going to do a concert. There's nothing illegal about a concert or about a carnival, but if there's going to be over, overtime charges, you get charged for it. We offered, after that first one, it was way out of hand, the police chief offered, said, here's the things you can do to correct it. Your next one is in, on June 3rd. I will redirect our police officers and put extra people out there, and we will not charge you and allow you to fix the problems. They said, no, we're not going to do anymore. So they could have done that one for free. I, I, want, I, want, I want to ask uh, the mayor something real quick. So uh, my friend Scott has a, a saying that he repeats verbatim all Which the time. One? Is that, uh, that complexity ends up alienating people from local government. You mentioned that the, the event that took place that was controversial came after a year and a half process. And the request after the event is for people to continue to engage in a process. When is the process just drowning a simple reform? And how reasonable is it for people to expect the city to fix or not fix something if it continues to support uh, a restriction on this behavior. Well, I mean, how could it take so long to, to decide whether this law should be in place or not? So it took this Chicana to bring up the conversation. It took this woman to bring up the conversation and to continue having the dialogue with the members of, which is now the United Lowrider Coalition. When we talk about what happened over the course of the last year, it was town halls, it was surveys, it was garnering that support. So we had the ability to say, this is what it means. Now, from May to now, we've lost the city attorney because he was appointed to the judicial bench. We have an interim city attorney. We've also had a month that was a downtime. We've also had, well now, an election cycle. You know, we have other activities taking place in the community. So to say, and, there have been people who have died crossing the streets, uh, which you guys have covered through the Circulate San Diego with our Vision Zero. We've now 
talked about and continue working on issues that matter to the community. Again, low riding is one aspect of our community. And yes, Highland Avenue is a place to go. But it's also too, when we're talking about life and death, people dying crossing the street, I think it's um, essential to recognize from May to here, it's not that long. It took this leadership to have the conversation. Can I just, can I just respond really quick? Look, I think it's important to realize that in the 90s, 80s and 90s, right, there were a lot of things happening, and uh, the war on drugs was happening during that time, and there was a lot of drugs being funneled through here, right, uh, that had many impacts in our neighborhoods and community, including National City, including Logan. So we had very, we had issues that had, uh, uh, you know, a global, um, there were global issues happening locally. And so, so there were reasons, some valid reasons, to try to make sure that we have a safe population. It is not the same anymore. This is 30 years later. Folks are very different. You know, we want to make sure that everybody has, we see everybody for who they are right now, not for, for who we were 30 years ago. And I had a really good conversation with a lowrider, uh, Michael, not sure if he's here, but he told me a really interesting story. He said, look, I was a part of that problem. I would get in fights. I would get in issues. I'm not that person anymore. I have kids. I have a family, I have a job, I'm a, small, I'm a small business owner, I am a different man. Yet, everybody wants to look at me for who I was, right? But you expect me to look at government in a different way. You expect me to look at police for who they are now instead of who they were back when I was a kid, right? When they used to beat me up for no reason. Where I was walking up and down the street in Highland and I would be harassed for no reason, right? So I think it's important for us to realize that there were historical issues Nonetheless, we're not the same. It's time to move on. It's time to move on. 30 years is a long time. It's time to move on. What I addressed to was you asking me, what, why did I do it at, back at that point? Times have changed. But at the same point, there needs to be a, a process so that we do have a permit for an event. And, you treat, and we don't want to treat lowriding as anything different than any other event, concert, fair, anything else. Now, if you're just going up and down the street, and it happens every day. There are lowriders cruising Highland Avenue. It happens. No, as you say, no one's bothering that. But it's when, especially with the social media world that we have, you could turn around and make an event over in an hour. And we would not be prepared. That's the reason it has to be treated as an event. Without due respect, Ron, the reason we had an event was because the current leadership, right, voted to have an event. Councilmember Bush and myself were trying to repeal the ordinance back in December so we wouldn't have this problem. And what happened was the majority decided to then have an event, promoted everywhere, went on TV all over the place and said, come to National City. And then we had 3,000 people show up. But what did we expect? And then that became an issue. This isn't a big deal. People ride with uh, their lowriders all over the region. There's clubs that go up to La Jolla. I was talking to a guy last weekend, they went up to La Jolla, 30 cars driving up there. It is something they enjoy. It's a passion. What we're trying to do is, is um, just allow people to drive their cars in public roads. They pay taxes to do it. They have a vehicle registration to do it. Let's let people drive down the roads. Do you mind if I take the... Uh, today, the vice mayor of the city, your vice mayor, uh, uh, Marcus Bush, announced that he was switching his endorsement to support Jose Rodriguez. Uh, I called him and asked him what was going on, if that was true. He said he brought up, uh, he felt like the city employees had made a good point, that they didn't trust the leadership. He felt like 
spending was off, that you were supporting a yoga lawn. I'm not sure, sure what that is. But he said, in particular, the lowriders thing is what stuck out. What do you, though, think is happening with that sort of political movement? Well, I do have the support of um, many people in the community. And, you know, this morning I did get a text. So the fact that he, uh, and I'll share with all of you, so the fact that he switched, uh, I think you have to pull an endorsement or say that I'm no longer, uh, you know, behind you. Because in politics, there's no take backs. It's not like it's paper, rock, paper, scissors. You know, it's, uh, it's really about supporting those who support you. And what was said was, hi, I wanted to give you a heads up that I will be announcing my support for Jose shortly. As you know, I've tried to talk with you about my concerns, but we haven't been able to connect for one reason or another. If you do want to talk to me about why I came to this decision, let me know. That is not a rescinding of, uh, of an endorsement. We know that people have supported others. And I was in the MTS meeting, and I said how unfortunate that, you know, we aren't able to have the conversation. But if that's who he wants to support, by all means. Fair. So you're saying you're not you're saying you don't think he actually switched, or okay. I I did not hear uh, any of that. But when you know, at, he was at my campaign kickoff saying you know, and again supporting our you know platform when it comes to housing and a multitude of other issues. And at the end of the day, you know, we're going to come out victorious at the end. And going to have to work together um, with all colleagues. Okay. So keep the dialogue going. Let me ask um, Jose. So you identify as a supporter and a member of the labor movement. You've taken the side that the, the, the city employees need a, a, a different arrangement. The residents, though, are going to look to you to negotiate, if you do make the mayor, on their behalf. Uh, as, as the best possible outcome that they can get out of the city services with, in partnership with the, with the employees? How can they trust that, that you will have enough of an independence in that relationship? Thank you for the question. I would like to say really quickly that I am honored to have the support of Vice Mayor Bush. I think it became very clear and evident over the last month that this was indeed the direction. And, and you know, the mayor mentions word matters. Well, the mayor actually flipped her support in the Filipino district, District 3, from uh, Dita Simani to Marisa Cierto without mentioning anything to Dita Simani. So if we're talking about word matters, well, word should matter, right? Um, but that aside, look, I think it's important to realize that our city workers operate our city and are in charge of making sure that our departments run efficiently. This is what I've realized in the last two years. We had a study uh, last year during contract negotiations. The study concluded our city workers were getting paid 20% under everybody else in the region. 20%. It is unacceptable to have people in our city that operate our city, that run our city, that do our day-to-day -day operations to get, get paid so little in comparison to everybody else. So it's important that we provide the support that's needed. It's important that we provide the adequate funding to make sure that the departments run efficiently. Another issue that we've been having have been permits, right? Permits, uh, notoriously, in National City take forever. And I've been advocating to expand the building department, which currently has three staff. That is unacceptable. 
we need to make sure that we run a city in a manner in which the public has uh, access, it is efficient, it is quick to get their permits so we can open up business, so we can build, so we can get things going. So lastly, Ron, you've been SANDAG chair before. I think that was the first story I ever did with you in it was about that in 2004 or something. Uh, you've represented National City and the region a lot. Why should you continue to do that? You're, uh, you've been in that role so long. National City is a very diverse place. And yet you want to keep representing National City in that sort of stage. Why should the, 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 the community you know, stick with that? Okay. Well, a number of things. I think, you know, a lot of people run for office for a lot of different reasons. Uh, some run because they want a title, and that's all nice and good. Others is a stepping stone, and they, you know, run from one office to the next, and away they go. I've always been about the community of National City, and so I've never looked beyond that point, even though I have represented uh, both at the local, the regional, the state, and the national level with leadership all through. At the same time, you know, there, is a, there are needs within National City that are not being met, I feel. And I'm hearing that throughout the community, and so that's what I'm trying to respond to. And indeed, I have been, uh, been in office now for 30 years, and so some people go, well, wait a minute, you know, 30 years is too long. What I say to that is I've known elected officials throughout the country, and, and I've met a good number of ones that 30 years is not long enough, and I've met some others that after 30 minutes, they've been in office 30 minutes too long. And so it all depends on the individual and what they can provide for the community. And I think the community is, has been saying the same thing, is that it doesn't matter on what your ethnicity is or whatever else. All these things that we try to divide everybody up, and this is a great thing in politics, is politics through division, power through division. And my deal has been to bring people together so that we don't look at color, we don't look at how their names are spelled, we don't look at gender, we don't look at all those things, but we work together to make a better community. And people were responding to that. Uh, Going to wrap it up. Thank you to all our guests today. Dang, we really should have started with like reading text messages. I think that was <laughs> note for next time. Thanks for joining us for this Voice of San Diego podcast live show from PolitiFest South. Our hosts and editors are Andrea Lopez Villafania, Scott Lewis, and Andrew Keats. Technicians are Xavier Vasquez and Adam Greenfield. I'm Nate John, and I produced this thing. Big thanks to the candidates for joining us, and big thanks to our hosts at the Emo Brown Foundation. We'll talk to you soon.